What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. I am Michael Finca of the American College of Financial Services. And I'm David Blanchett. And today we're going to talk about spending in retirement. And why is spending so interesting? Well, the 4% rule assumes that you're going to spend the same amount of money every year throughout retirement. It's going to go up by the rate of inflation. That makes planning for retirement pretty easy. Um, all you got to do is pull a constant amount of money out of your investment portfolio. It doesn't change over time. But the reality is that, and this is probably the one good news about the 4% rule today, that you know, it may be that some of the assumptions are not as realistic as they used to be. People are living longer. Asset returns might be lower. But this is one assumption that is good news because as it turns out, retirees may not spend as much money as you might imagine, as, especially as they get older in retirement. For me, this is a really important topic because like, it's the goal, right? I mean, like, what we're saving for, what you're saving for is based upon this assumption of how does your spending evolve in retirement? You know, for better or for worse, pretty much every financial plan out there, every paper on retirement assumes that retirees increase their spending or consumption every year in retirement by inflation. And if that isn't true, that really can have a fundamental impact on what is the best portfolio, what is the role of annuities, what is the best type of annuity, how much you save for retirement, all these things. And I think that, you know, at least my research suggests that, that the average person might spend about 1% less than inflation. So if inflation goes up 3% a year, they actually spend about 2% more a year on average. Well, obviously, if your spending does not go up in retirement, what that means is that you may be saving over aggressively if your plan is to spend the exact same amount of money every year, adjusted for inflation going up every year. Uh, and that's good news. I think there's actually a lot of good news about how much money you really need to spend in retirement. The first piece of good news is that for someone who makes a decent income, you hear these statistics like people need to replace 70% of their gross income or 80% of their gross income. The reality is the year before they retire, they're spending on average about 45% of their gross income. And that makes a certain amount of sense because they're paying a lot of money in taxes. They may be saving you know, $25,000 a year for retirement. Those are things that they're not going to have to spend money on anymore. And people sock away, especially people who are the kind of people who go to see financial advisors. They tend to be savers. So we find that they really need to replace only about half of their gross income. So that's good news, especially in a low interest rate environment, because income is so expensive to buy. And once you get to that point, that first year of retirement, now we've done some studies on this, and I know Chase Bank has also done some studies on this. There are some retirees who spend a lot the first year after retirement. I like to call them the RV retirees. They blow their money on something really fun the first couple of years of retirement, but then they tend to settle down over time. And you see on average, people hit that equilibrium. But really, David, I, I think the highest spending that you will ever see in retirement on average is in your late 60s. Right. Well, I mean, to me, it's, it's you know, there's this fun way we people describe it. There's like the go-go, the slow-go, and the no-go years, right? So when you first retire, you can kind of get out there and do some fun stuff. Those are the go-go years. And then as you kind of evolve through retirement, your spending tends to slow down. I mean, I think that while many retirees want to enjoy retirement, you know, how you enjoy retirement changes as you age. And when you start to think about what it means to save for that, I think that it, it changes 
a lot of things. I mean, I think that a lot of economists say that, hey, the best way to fund your retirement is through an annuity. Well, that's partially true, but retirees have flexible consumption, right? So, you know, unlike a defined benefit plan where you have a fixed liability you've got to pay every single year, people can afford to change if they have to, right? It's, it's very noisy. I think this, this idea of spending that decreases maybe every year on average versus inflation, uh, spending that can adjust to circumstances really kind of opens up what uh, advisor can do in terms of what is the optimal financial plan or retirement strategy, because it's different for everyone. It should also be noted that a lot of people don't spend enough money in retirement. <laughs> and, and this is something that amazes me. I think to most economists, why did you save all that money in the first place? Like, why are you not buying a nicer car or living in a bigger house? Because you're setting all this money away for retirement and then you get to retirement and you don't spend it. People tend to feel uncomfortable seeing their balance get smaller. And I think that's a behavioral effect, but it's one that, especially in the defined contribution era, we got to get over this. Like we've got to, and that's one of the reasons why annuitization I think is actually beneficial for people because it allows them to feel okay spending the money that they save for retirement. If it's coming in the form of a paycheck, they see that as money that they can actually spend. Whereas pulling money out of their savings account, they feel guilty doing it. And I've done interviews with retirees and I see this over and over again, that they're so proud of the fact that they're not spending very much money in retirement. And then when I say, well, you must really want to give that money to your kids because you're not spending very much. And they say, well, no, you know, I, I spend a lot of money on my kids' education. They make more money than I ever did in their lifetime. I don't really want to give the money to the kids, but there's no third option. And I think financial advisors are naturally conservative people. And they tend to spur that same conservatism in their naturally conservative clients, whereas it, it may make some sense to actually encourage your clients to enjoy the money that they have, especially at the beginning of retirement, because you may overestimate how much enjoyment you're going to have from spending that money when you're in your 80s. You know, devil's advocate would say, well... What about healthcare? Right? You know, if you think about all these risks that advisors talk about, you know, people are scared of these healthcare costs. And I mean, you and I both know that that it's not a big deal for a lot of retirees, but for some, it is a big deal. And so, you know, a, a person who's listening that says, you know, I want to enjoy this portfolio, but I'm worried about how long I'm going to live in these healthcare costs. Like, what do you tell them? Well, I think this is a legitimate problem. I mean, we both studied healthcare spending later on in life. Now, I, I think you found some really interesting things about healthcare spending, which basically comes down to if you are spending a lot of money on healthcare, you're probably not spending a whole lot of money on anything else. And that makes sense, right? I mean, if you if you're if you once you get sick, you're not going to probably go on that cruise, right? So I think that this idea that that everything else increases when healthcare increases, which is what people often assume, isn't the case in reality. So that buffers the amount that you're gonna be spending on healthcare potentially. But if you go into a long-term care facility, that's expensive. And yes. that is a great example of an idiosyncratic risk. And then long-term care insurance is a very small market in the United States, but it is a typical type of large magnitude risk that is idiosyncratic, that is best taken care of with insurance. Why don't people buy long-term care insurance? It's painful, right? To to it's it's the reason they don't annuitize their wealth, right? And I I mean one thing that that, that concerns me about long-term care insurance is the uncertainty regarding pricing that we've seen over time, right? You know, certain companies that had had policies have seen almost double, you know, premiums double over the last five or ten years. What if that keeps happening? 
right? To me, to me, the ideal solution here is actually like a public solution, kind of like social security where the government would somehow come into play because, you know, individuals that want long-term care insurance can often get it. Even when you get it, it can be very expensive. Even if you can afford the premium today, what if it increases five or 10 years from now? And so, I mean, I agree. It's like the perfect risks to insure against. I'm just, you know, I'm just not, con- I'm just not convinced that long-term care insurance, the market itself is really a, the, the optimal solution for most people. And I think that is an important point that if there is eventually going to be some sort of a public solution to long-term care, that is going to reduce the value of the protection that you prepaid for with long-term care insurance. And I think as an example, it almost stayed in the ACA. Is that right? The ACA contained a provision for long-term care that exited at the last moment, I think because of affordability concerns. But it could happen again. Nobody really knows. But it is, I think, a major problem with planning for retirement is that we're all exposed to that possibility of very high expenditure late in life. And I think one last point on this topic, there's a great article by a researcher named Amy Finkelstein, great name, um, who, who found that actually the amount of satisfaction that you get from being in a higher quality long-term care facility is really not that much greater than the amount of satisfaction that you get from running out of money and staying in a less lower quality long-term care facility. So by that time, the amount of extra happiness that you're buying yourself by saving all this money to make sure that you're able to afford long-term care may not be providing you as much happiness as you think. Because, I mean, you're giving up a lot early on in life to have the million dollars that you might need for a very expensive long-term care visit. And then by the time you get there and you spend the million dollars on it, you're not getting a whole lot of happiness out of it. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more. Advisors are listening to this and they're doing financial plans. I mean, you know, one, one thing that I would recommend is, so when we do plans for people, we still assume that retirement spending increases by inflation. One thing that I've always kind of said when I talk about this is I think it's important to show them what it means to assume, you know, what if spending decreases by 1% a year throughout retirement versus inflation? So again, you assume inflation is 2%. You, know, you assume it's spending goes down by 1%. Show them what it means in terms of how they can consume in retirement, because that could substantially reduce, you know, what they have to save for retirement or consequently, you know, if they can afford to go on those cruises in their, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Any other kind of ideas or tips on how advisors or retirees can use this to kind of create better retirement strategies? Well, I think one of the things that you don't have to be maybe quite as worried about as you might be worried about is the eroding effect of inflation. Because we do find that spending tends to fall at roughly the rate of inflation. So you, if you have some sort of a nominal income source like a pension or an annuity, it might support roughly the lifestyle that you wanna live over time, even though you're losing purchasing power every year. And that just assumes that inflation doesn't go crazy in the future. If inflation does go crazy, then it's important to consider some kinds of risk protection against a rise of inflation, things like investing in tips. You know, most retirees have uh, social security retirement benefits, those are linked to inflation. They have a home, they can monetize also a decent inflation hedge. They might have some implicit hedges in their portfolio. So I guess to your point, and from my perspective, you know, I, I don't know that, for example, that this idea that retirees need more inflation-adjusted guaranteed income makes all that much sense because they can get that through other sources, especially if, you know, maybe a, a nominal policy with like a, a 2% fixed COLA 
has a more attractive pricing. And I think, again, the bottom line is that for most people, especially wealthy people who might see a financial advisor, they're not probably going to run out of money because right. they're not spending as much as you might imagine them. And uh, they probably have more than enough to live on. And then really the question becomes all about legacy planning, you know, because that's the opposite side of spending in retirement is is legacy. You don't spend it, it's got to go to somebody. But but how do you, you know, to, to me, you know, you mentioned this earlier, the, the studies about retirees who have saved for retirement aren't spending. Like, how do you get them to spend, right? I mean, you mentioned annuity, but like, what if they want to annuitize? I mean, have you seen like behavior research on what advisors are doing to better get their clients to understand kind of how to harness their savings to actually live a happier retirement? You know, I think that I would have them imagine what they could spend their money on in the future, plan out. Otherwise, we're creatures of habit. We tend to do the same thing that we did yesterday. Part of the retirement planning process is the financial part, the investing part. But part of it is really planning for a life in retirement and getting them to feel comfortable actually spending the money on things that they enjoy. That should be part of the conversation that you have with a financial advisor is getting people to feel comfortable to actually meet the goals that they had when they saved the money in the first place. So like, like what are people not doing now? So they, you know, like they're, having these, they're having these account balances accumulate, but they're not having those conversations. Like to me, I know we've talked about like ants, the idea of ants and grasshoppers, people that are good at saving, you can't turn them into spenders and people that have always never saved, they just want to spend what they have. Like, how do you change that? I just, to me, like that's, that's fascinating. Like getting someone that hasn't, you know, that has been a really good saver for 40 years to turn them into a spender. I think it's going to be a big paradigm change for the next generation, like the defined contribution generation, because they're going to be the first generation that's got to spend money down from a lump sum. And getting people to feel comfortable doing that and getting them to do it at a pace that is consistent with their expected longevity. In other words, you're not going to live forever and you got a ton of money. You got to spend it down over time to get the most happiness that you can. I just see it as, as we have to become accustomed to this idea that the money is there for actually spending down. And that's, I think, a social change that needs to happen as part of the defined contribution era. And I think the, the financial advisor, their job is to get people to feel comfortable actually spending the money. That's, that's one of their jobs. You know, a lot of advisors like to build portfolios where the individual lives off the income. And I think that a lot of folks don't realize in our research and most research, we assume you actually draw down the portfolio, right? You know, they don't, they don't know, you know, like people, I think first assume that the 4% rule was a, was a 4% annual withdrawal from the portfolio. It wasn't actually kind of fixing that initial withdrawal amount and then spinning the portfolio down. And so I worry that a lot of advisors create strategies that are, you know, really still too focused on, on income versus actually accessing the capital to kind of help that individual fund retirement. Yeah, and it's historically, we're at the point where it's most expensive to buy income from an investment portfolio that I've ever seen in the United States. So if you're just going to buy it from, say, 10-year treasuries and dividends on the S&P, it now costs over $100,000 to buy $2,000 of income from an equally weighted portfolio in each. So if you're just going to take the money out of your portfolio income, you're not going to live very well in retirement. Learn how a goal-based approach redefines 21st century investment with our Wealth Management Certified Professional designation. Bring your value to a new level at theamericancollege.edu slash WMCP. Well, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about why people probably should be spending more in retirement and how they tend to accumulate assets in retirement. Let's go back to the original question, which is why is it that 
so many financial advisors are pushing clients to save such a large amount of money, as much as 70 or even 80%, I've heard, of their pre-retirement income. Is that really realistic? Why would advisors do that? Well, you know, there's a, a kind of a, a negative perspective on what on your question, but I would say that like high level, I think that most people, as we know, aren't saving near enough to retire successfully, right? I think that you could you could ask the question though that hey, on today's podcast, you guys kind of you know outlined some reasons why some of the key assumptions could be too high. And you know, part of me does think that people could save less, but at the same time, advisors are, are a pretty conservative group, right? I mean, like I wouldn't want to do a financial plan for someone and then have them get to retirement, having followed my recommendations for 30 years and not have enough money. And so I think that, you know, that's one part. The other is just, you could say that it's incentive-based. I mean, if, if you're, I'd like to think that they don't make, you know, higher recommendations because they're paid to manage assets, but they are. And so I think there's a variety of reasons why these plans are, are more conservative than, than they may have to be. I mean, Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I don't think anybody would ever fire their advisor for encouraging them to save too much. I don't think anybody would be upset at retirement if they had just enough money as opposed to plenty of money in retirement. So the incentives are all there to encourage people to spend more. I think the only downside is that, especially in today's low interest environment, it can be so expensive to replace 70% of our pre-retirement income. You know, if you're making $200,000 a year, that's $140,000. I'm trying to estimate in my brain how expensive it would be to simply buy guaranteed income that would provide you with that much income. David, can you do that in your head? No. $140,000. But, you know, so one thing that one thing that I've I've been thinking of recently especially is like what if what if this is like the new normal? What if we're seriously in for a future where where 2% is like a good return on fixed income, right? How how much would that affect retirement for like every single person out there? Well, I think what it would mean is that we'd need to save more or retire later, both both of which are not very much fun to think about. Right. Um, but I do think that there is a danger in assuming, especially that we're going to be getting historical asset returns when you're creating a plan for saving for retirement or figuring out how much money is enough in retirement. That might be an area where we may be actually undershooting the amount of money that you really need in retirement. It's probably true that, that some people are oversaving. I'm guessing that most Americans aren't saving enough, but I think uh, like the problem is is like how do you save for this thing called retirement when you're like 35 years old? You know, you don't even know what you're going to be doing in in five years, much much less 30. And so I think that you know there's just a lot of uncertainty there. And so I think that at least for the near term, it, it probably makes sense to oversave. But we'll see. We'll see. On that note, thank you very much for uh, joining us for today's podcast. I'm Michael Finca, and I'm David Blanchett. I'll talk to you all next time. Bye bye. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services.